Rosh Hashanah is a time when we reflect on the past year and when we look ahead to the year that's coming. For many of us, this can be a very unnerving proposal because so much in this past year has filled us with anger or frustration. And the idea of what the future holds can simply be terrifying. Now, I know this to be true because, as your rabbi, I've had conversations with many of you throughout the past year where you've expressed just that. There's a person who seriously is considering moving away from Los Angeles for reasons that, in any other context, would have been considered questionable or perhaps even a little paranoid. It's true, Raphael. It's true. (laughs) But now those reasons seem quite practical. They began by citing the ever-growing wage, the ever-growing wage gap and the soaring cost of living. This person wants to raise their family in a diverse and liberal community but simply can't afford to do so. Most of you live in this area and so you know how insane home prices and rents are. And we're constantly hearing about how great the economy is but I know many of you have barely seen an increase in your salaries in the past decade. It's simply untenable to stay on this course. That's not even beginning to address the crisis of homelessness that we're facing here in the city. With the very real examples of people in our community losing their homes due to rent hikes or deceitful landlords or banks. And then this person's also concerned about the possibility of nuclear war with North Korea. With missiles now able to reach the United States, they figure that Los Angeles is a prime target and they don't want to be here if and when war breaks out. It's hard to actually argue with these concerns and there's very little that I can say to assuage them. Then there are the countless people in the community who fear that our republic is in peril. They cite the dumbing down of society and the normalization of alternative facts. They point out the cowardice we see in our elected officials and the overwhelming influence of corporate money in deciding our national policies, disregarding the will of the masses for the desires of the few. They say that we live in California, so what effect can we have on elections in states like South Carolina Or Florida. Of course, California is not so perfect either. But still, it's easy to relate to their anxieties. And finally, the conversations I've had with folks regarding the environment are simply too numerous to count. It seems like everyone is afraid of what the future has in store for us. That unusually humid summer we had this past summer, we should expect to see that as the new norm with ocean temperatures constantly rising. Those constant wildfires that we saw over the summer and we're seeing again this week, we should expect to see even more of those in the years ahead. One congregant is so terrified of what she sees going on in the world that she's told me, she told me she's seriously questioning the morality of having a child and bringing a child, another life, into this world. How can I argue with any of this? Each concern 
is perfectly rational in light of the evidence at hand. I hear these stories and I too find myself nearly paralyzed by such uncertainty. And of course, all of these worries and reactions are completely natural. Because whenever we're repeatedly exposed to the same horrible situation time and time again, the natural response is to become overwhelmed and numb. And this in turn leads to a sense, uh, to a state of inaction. Not only is it nearly impossible to imagine any practical steps to take in order to move forward, but we even convince ourselves that any steps we would take would simply be ineffective. And then we find ourselves in a downward spiral, making it harder and harder to see a way out, which only reinforces our sense of helplessness, our sense of hopelessness. Now, nowhere is this tendency better illustrated than in today's Torah reading, the story of Hagar. After drawing the ire of Sarah, Hagar and her son Ishmael are sent away by Avraham with little food and only a single skin of water. The supplies soon run out, and Hagar is unable to locate any resources to sustain both her and her son. She begins to panic, believing that they are both destined to die there in the wilderness. And so great is her despair that she then distances, distances herself from her son as she can't bear to watch his inevitable death from thirst and starvation. As I was speaking with my wife, Rose, about this drosh, she shared a story with me. When one of today's greatest activist pastors, William Barber, found himself constantly speaking with his congregants about similar concerns, he explained to them that this is not necessarily the worst moment in the world's existence, but rather it's the worst moment in our own existence. That sense of perspective helps us see a bit better. And then we realize that if that's the case, there must be lessons from the past to teach us how to respond to our current situation. There's a fantastic midrash, a rabbinic commentary, that provides a wonderful answer. In the Torah, it says that when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, they managed to grow exponentially in both numbers and strength. The rabbis couldn't understand how, despite their dire circumstances, the Israelites not only maintained their numbers, but even, grew even greater. The situation is, we were being tormented by a vicious Egyptian society that was hell-bent on wiping out the entire Israelite population. Now, initially, the Egyptians sought to achieve their goal through policies, like forcing men and women to live in separate homes and through back-breaking labor. And ultimately, they resorted to killing all of our infant boys by throwing them into the Nile as well as killing them on the birthing stone. Their spirits and bodies broken and their hopes dashed, the Israelite men refused to sleep with their wives 
because they couldn't bear with the future held for their children. But the women, despite the dire circumstances, sought to entice their husbands into relations. The women would prepare a lunch, and they would meet their husbands down by the river where they were working. The women would lay out a blanket amongst, hidden amongst the reeds, and laying there with their husbands, they would pull out mirrors. They would pull out their mirrors, and they'd hold them up, and they'd start teasing their husbands, saying, I am more beautiful than you. And their husbands, despite their exhaustion and humiliation, would cheer up at this little game, and they would look into the mirrors and tease their wives in return, saying, no, I am more beautiful than you. And this little game, this flirtation, would go back and forth a few times until the women were finally able to entice their husbands into making love right there by the riverside, thus bringing the next generation into existence and ensuring the survival of the Jewish people. By the way, those mirrors were later hammered into the wash basin that the priests would wash their hands in before entering into the temple to serve God. The Israelite women not only managed to circumvent the hardships imposed upon them, which were intended to keep them from having children, but they chose to continue having children, knowing full well the risk that that decision carried. Despite them living in the worst moment of their lives, the women held on to hope, and they fought for a better future. So they continued to have children, hoping that one day their children or their children's children would be able to taste the sweetness of freedom, even if they themselves were resigned to the bitterness of slavery. They understood that we have an obligation not to lose hope. Because loss of hope leads to inaction, and we need to take action if we want to bring the world we long for into existence. And the women knew that the only way to hold on to and to create hope is through action. Even if their attempts failed and fell short of achieving their goals, making those attempts is important because it teaches labrut. It teaches the next generation that they too have an obligation to try. Now over the years, we have been blessed with economic prosperity, technological advancements, and progress in social issues. But at the same time, many others right here in America and right here in Los Angeles have been living in what has felt to them like the worst moment of their own existence. While we as Jews were experiencing growing acceptance by American society, people of color continue to face egregious violations of their basic rights. Parents having to worry the moment that their child starts driving that one day they might be murdered during the far too common routine traffic stop, which often originates from the violation of driving while black. And while we as Jews were building day schools and synagogues, the Latinx community had to worry about random raids on their homes and schools and workplaces. 
a constant looming threat that their families might be broken up. And now they face the threat of having their naturalization revoked. And while we as Jews were enjoying the freedom to step out from the shadows of our synagogues and homes, to express our Jewish identities in public without fear, and to celebrate holidays like Hanukkah and Passover at the White House with presidents and elected officials and community leaders, LGBTQI individuals continue to fight discrimination, violence, and the oppressive fear of living their true lives. And none of this is to mention the terrible existence that so many millions face around the world today. We might just be waking up to the realization that we are living through the worst moment in our lifetime. But for many, many others, they have long been living through the worst moment of their lifetime. And yet, like our ancestors in Egypt, they have persevered continuing to build families and create loving, supportive communities and maintaining hope for a better future, even in the darkest hours. How blessed are we that we find ourselves facing, that when we find ourselves facing an uncertain future, we have not only the guidance of our tradition, but the wisdom of these marginalized communities right here in our midst, teaching us how not to lose hope and how to stand strong rather than to fall under pressure. For years, we have used our position of comfort to help these communities. But we are blind to the idea that one day, perhaps, we might need their help just as much. The story of Hagar and Ishmael doesn't end with their deaths. Thank God. Instead, God hears Ishmael's cries and God sends an angel to open Hagar's eyes, helping her to see a well of water that had been there all along. Now that our eyes are open, let us drink from the wells of wisdom, experience, hope, and action that have been here all along and that can help us as well to persevere through this trying time. So with the new year upon us, and with an eye to the future, let us hold on to hope by committing to take action, even if it's just one small thing that we previously were not doing. Maybe that means subscribing to another newspaper or two, showing the world just how valuable the truth is. Or you could volunteer with any number of organizations fighting for rights of the underserved and the underrepresented through organizations like Clue, Bend the Ark, JQ, and the Poor People's Campaign. And if it's the environment that's terrifying you, call Congress and insist on legislation that holds the U.S. accountable to the terms of the Paris Climate Accord and that reinstates tougher environmental regulations that the EPA would be bound to enforce. And finally, if you're feeling particularly motivated, you could even foster or adopt a child, or at least support the work of fantastic organizations like Vista Del Mar and Second Nurture. 
There are thousands of children in need of a loving home and a positive influence. And helping to provide that for them can have an astounding effect on society. As nearly 50% of people who are homeless, more than 25% of people who are in prison, and 82% of girls and women who are trafficked have been neglected and left to the care of the foster system. I understand all of the concerns that we are facing these days, and I am right there with you. But in the face of despair, we must not resign ourselves to inaction. Instead, let 5779 become the year of renewed action. For our tradition teaches us, teaches us that when the future seems uncertain, hope can be found through our actions. Shana Tova. Shana Tova.